The first reading can be found on page 115 in the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. It is taken from Acts chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone 
who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the Gospel reading, which can be found on page 97 of the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. It is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. Alleluia! Alleluia! Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in them the fire of your love. Alleluia! Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart, shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May your thoughts and words be to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Do please be seated. I don't know if you've ever had that embarrassing experience of someone giving you a gift, only to find when you opened it, you didn't have the foggiest idea what it was or what it was for. I mean, there you are at the company Christmas party or at your birthday party and someone hands you a nicely wrapped package and you pull off the wrapping paper, all eyes in the circle on you, you open the box and there it is. But is it a pencil sharpener or a coffee grinder? Is it a scarf or a napkin? Is it earrings or fishing flies? Of course, the person who gave you the gift is looking at you with eager anticipation as if to say, well, do you like it? And finally, out of courtesy and a little desperation, you have to say something. So you say, oh, how could you have known? Thank you so much. I can really use a tyre pressure gauge only to have a wounded voice say, tire gauge, that's a meat thermometer. (laughs) There's something of the same uncertainty and perplexity in a much deeper sense, of course, about Pentecost. You heard the story. The leaders of the early church all gathered in one place when suddenly there was the sound of rushing wind like a tornado. Then tongues of fire appeared resting on every head and each one of them began speaking the good news of the gospel in other languages. There's a reflection here 
back to the earliest accounts of creation in Genesis, when the Spirit of God described, it is described as hovering over all that was happening. The Hebrew word ruach means breath of God. It even sounds like breathing a little ruach. Pentecost, the 50th day after Easter Sunday. It wasn't called Pentecost in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Pentecost is a Greek word. It was originally the festival of harvests or the festival of weeks. There were two harvests in Palestine, the early harvest in May or June, and then the autumn harvest. The weeks were how these were calculated for the festivals. And if you'd like a little homework, you can read about it in Exodus 24, Leviticus 16, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy 16. And Mark will test you next week on how well you've done. Do you remember when we used to call Pentecost Whitsunday or Whitsuntide? Perhaps signifying the descending of the white dove as a symbol of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps the white robes that were put on the newly baptized in Christ. But here, on the first Pentecost, in dramatic fashion, something has been given to the church a gift from God. But when we open it, what exactly is this gift? And what is it for? Of course, I can see you thinking, I've told you before, clergy can do mind reading. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. That's what's been given. At Pentecost, God gave the church the gift of the Spirit. And to be part of the church is to say, We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But when you take the wrapping paper off, what exactly is this gift? Some people are fascinated by the drama of this story, the power of the wind moving like a high-speed train through the gathering, of tongues of fire resting on people's heads, and they say, ah, I know what the gift is. The gift of Pentecost is the gift of energy and excitement in the church. Perhaps Pentecost is God's way of shaking the moss off the church roof, blowing the cobwebs out of the sanctuary and allowing something like wind farm power and excitement to energize the church. The disciples, like us, were living in exceptional times. For them it was the tyranny of Rome and the fear of their own religious faith being destroyed. For us, well, war and fear of its consequences, financial catastrophes, our own national church being torn apart by division and perhaps the even greater danger of the church being seen as irrelevant. The early church was living in uncharted territory. They still only had part of the picture. They had followed Jesus and loved him. They had watched him die a dreadful death and mourned what they saw as the end of all their hope. 
And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. But for those first followers, confusion still reigned. They encountered him, but then he was gone. They saw him in locked rooms, on a beach, on a road. But these were fleeting moments. And then he disappeared before their eyes at the ascension. The trajectory is familiar to us. Maybe too familiar. Maybe we have lost the element of surprise and awe of that first Pentecost. Those first followers of Jesus would surely have felt a combination of anxiety, excitement, trepidation, and certainly terror. It seems that on that first Pentecost, they were still locked away. Locked away in fear. And then, just as the risen Jesus know no physical barrier, neither, it seems, does the Spirit. But the Spirit is not contained in human form. The Spirit is not contained at all. The Spirit breaks through as a rush of wind and as tongues of flame. It enables the disciples to do amazing things. Emboldens them to take risks, empowers them to speak in different languages, and not different languages just for the sake of it, different languages so people could understand, different languages so all people could hear of God's love for them. We read that a crowd had gathered outside the house due to the cacophony of noise and that they were amazed and astonished because they heard their own languages being spoken by people who were clearly from backwater Galilee. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia? The list goes on, and its length is to emphasize the diversity of the crowd and the universality of the message. The diversity of the crowd and the universality of the message. God's love is for everyone. But this is not a tame God who can be contained within walls. This is the God of wind and fire, the God of encounter and risk the enemy of apathy, as one beautiful Iona hymn describes the spirit. It may sound like a cliché to say that whilst our church buildings are so often closed, the church is always very much open. But actually, it's true. The church is the people of God. And the people of God are animated by God's spirit, which blows where she will. God is not limited to our church buildings. God is moving throughout the entire world, throughout the entire universe. Think back to our annual meeting this past week and see what the church, the people of God, can and should be doing. A vicar wrote some years ago, I was invited to a church to lead a workshop. Afterwards, I was being taken to the station by one of the officers of the congregation. As we drove along, he confided in me something he couldn't tell his own minister. 
that some Sundays he sneaked away to a different church, a church where they sing scripture songs and speak in tongues and pray waving their hands over their heads. He told it to me sheepishly. I shouldn't do it, he said. After all, I'm an officer in my own church. There is something about my church that strikes me as so boring. Well, I understand that. There is something weighty and heavy in the life of the church. I mean, if, it, if we're not talking about the stewardship campaign or how to balance the budget and pay the common fund in these perilous economic times, we're talking about repairing the church path or the roof or both or settling an argument about guitars and drums and audiovisuals in worship. And when we aren't bound up in these little disputes, we're trying to face staggering problems of the world like war and poverty and migration and human sexuality, or about whether our own denomination will be recognisable in a few years' time. And it begins to weigh us down. Wouldn't it be nice to be lifted up and to have the life of the church flying like a flag, snapping in the powerful wind of the Spirit with energy and excitement Maybe that is the gift of Pentecost. So maybe, just maybe, the gift we get at Pentecost is the gift of power. And God knows we need it. For just a moment. Pentecost may give us power, but it's not ordinary power, not clout like the world's power. We're seeing it every day. If there is power at Pentecost, it's more like the power of Jesus because it looks like weakness and vulnerability. Did you notice what the world did when the church first manifested its Pentecostal gift? They poked each other in the ribs and said, I don't know about you, but they look like they're drunk to me. That's strange power. No, when all is said and done, the gift we receive at Pentecost is not the superficial gift of energy and excitement, an injection of artificial adrenaline, and it's not the kind of power that the world thinks of as power. The gift we receive at Pentecost is the one gift we most desperately need and the world needs. Strangely enough, the gift of Pentecost is the gift of something to say. A word to speak in the brokenness and tragedy of the world that is unlike any other word. Did you notice what happened to the church when the Spirit was given? It stood up and it spoke. It moved from silence to language. It talked and the whole world heard the good news in its own languages. As the prophet Joel wrote long ago, in the latter days I will pour out my spirit on all humanity and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will have a word to speak. 
that life is stronger than death, that hope is deeper than despair, that every tear will be dried, and that in the power of Christ's resurrection, death and pain will be no more. That word is our gift to speak. The story is told of a brand new vicar of a small church who announced to his congregation, next Sunday at nine o'clock, I'm going to start a vicar's church group on the basics of the Christian faith. If you are new to the faith, or if you'd like a refresher, then come. I invite you to join me next Sunday at nine. The next week, he was expecting to greet a crowd and was immediately disappointed. There were only three junior school children, three little girls waiting for the session. He tried to hide his disappointment and over the next few weeks to do the best he could to teach them about the Christian faith. The week before Pentecost Sunday, he said to them, do you girls know what Pentecost is? They didn't. Well, he said, Pentecost was when the church was seated together and tongues of fire came down from heaven and landed on their heads and they spoke the gospel in all the languages of the world. Two of the little girls took that rather calmly, but one of them opened her eyes as big as saucers and when she could finally speak, she said, Reverend, we must have been absent that Sunday. The beautiful thing about this is not that she misunderstood. The beautiful thing is that she thought it could have happened in their church. That God's Spirit could have come even to that small congregation and given a word to speak that the world desperately needs to hear. As we soon invite the Holy Spirit to come, as we celebrate Holy Communion together, may we have an expectation deep in our hearts that the Spirit may indeed descend upon us, individually and as a church. And may we hear and receive, even this day, a word from God that those around us need to hear too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.